Run Over by a Speedboat by Gary Stephen Ross. A gruesome accident nearly killed Carter Viss. Healing from the injuries would be tough. Forgiving the boat's driver, even tougher. Beneath the ocean's surface waits a different world. Quiet, shimmering with life. Carter Viss loved that world. It's why he decided to study marine biology at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. It's why he got a job at the Loggerhead Marine Life Centre on Florida's east coast. And it's why he spent so much free time snorkelling in the reefs at Palm Beach. This particular Thursday morning, November 28, 2019, was a Thanksgiving holiday and tourists and locals were visiting the beaches. The water was flat, the sky blue and the underwater visibility spectacular. Carter, 25, and his 32-year-old colleague Andy Earle spent a couple of hours among the sharks, eels, turtles, octopus and angelfish. Finally, around noon, they headed for shore. Outboard motors have an unmistakable sound when divers are underwater. But swimming on the surface, Carter didn't hear the powerboat until it was almost on top of him. When he saw it, he knew he had just an instant... He pulled desperately to one side, getting his head and upper torso out of the boat's path before it ran him over. He braced and tumbled. The seawater around him turned crimson. A severed limb was sinking to the bottom. A human arm, the hand enclosed in a black diver's glove. This can't be happening, he thought. It was too bizarre. Inhaling blood and seawater, Carter realised he would drown if he didn't swim but his right arm was gone and both his legs were smashed, dangling beneath him. His remaining hand was damaged. Screaming for his life, he slipped beneath the surface. Andy Earle heard his friend's mortal terror. So did Christine Reininger, who was sitting on a paddleboard nearby and had yelled at the boat to slow down. They reached Carter at about the same time. While Andy kept Carter's face out of the water, Christine squeezed his upper arm to stem the blood flow then fashioned a tourniquet from the cord on her paddleboard. Meanwhile, the 11-metre speedboat, named Tally Girl, was reversing urgently. It was powered by three 400-horsepower outboard engines with five-blade propellers. On board were retired Goldman Sachs executive Daniel Stanton, his 30-year-old son Daniel Jr., his son-in-law, and two grandchildren. Daniel Jr. was at the wheel, horrified, in shock, he helped Earl and Reininger load Carter onto the boat's stern. I'm not going to make it, Carter thought, pain searing through the adrenaline. No way I'm going to make it. Earl too feared his friend could not survive such wounds. God is with us, he reassured Viss over and over, holding his hand as Tally Girl made for shore. Carter felt his fear and panic melt away. In its place came total surrender, a kind of blissful acceptance. Dying felt like diving down into another beautifully peaceful realm. But the worst day of Carter's life was not without things to be thankful for. Erlen Reininger being so close, the speedboat reversing so quickly, the first responders wading into the ocean to meet Tally Girl. At St Mary's Medical Centre, the 12-person critical care team received Carter in the trauma bay barely 20 minutes after the boat struck. Dr Robert Borrego, a critical care surgeon and the medical director of trauma at St Mary's, was in the middle of his shift. The son of a Cuban fisherman, Dr Borrego had come to the US at age nine. 
30 years at St Mary's and a stint at a field hospital in Iraq had acclimatised him to dealing with trauma. Many soldiers he'd worked on had been devastated by explosive devices. Dr Borrego did a quick assessment. Major open wounds in the ocean are doubly perilous because the victim's bleeding is not slowed by clotting and infection is very likely. Carter had lost at least 40% of his blood volume and was on the verge of multi-organ failure. His arm had been retrieved by a diver, but there was no hope of reattaching it. Dr Borrego noted the damaged left hand and wrist. The right knee was dislocated, the kneecap was nearly severed, and the femur was fractured. The lower left leg and ankle was smashed, and the left foot was turning blue. It was a miracle Carter was alive, but every moment counted. One option was to amputate both legs, which would lower the infection risk. But because Carter was young and otherwise healthy, Dr Borrego and his team decided to try to save them. Three surgeons and two residents got to work. First came amputation of the mangled arm. Next, each leg was reset and encased in a fixator, a sort of exoskeleton that maintains proper alignment as the bones begin their slow process of repair. Fractures in the left hand and wrist were also set and soft tissue damage repaired. Three and a half hours later, infused with saline and eight units each of red blood cells, plasma and platelets, Carter was moved to the intensive care unit. The next 48 to 72 hours would be critical. The human body can only fight so many battles at once before shutting down. All anyone could do now was wait and hope and see if he'd pull through. In Centennial, a town outside Denver, Chuck and Layla Viss were taking a chilly, snowy walk when Layla's phone rang. The display showed a Florida number. She assumed it was a telemarketer. Back in the car, heading home to start dinner, she saw there were two voicemail messages. She put the phone on speaker so Chuck could listen too. It was a police officer in Palm Beach. As the mother of three active boys, Carter was her middle son, Layla wondered, what had Carter done? Boating accident, lost one arm, trying to save his legs. Panicked, weeping, they pulled into a car park. We took turns losing it and comforting each other, said Layla. The day became a desperate, blurry scramble. Cancelling dinner, urgent calls, sobbing helplessly, trying to book flights on a public holiday. Chuck's persistence paid off when he found two seats out of Denver that evening with a layover in Boston. If there's such a thing as purgatory, it just might resemble Boston's Logan Airport at 4am when you're so emotionally spent that you've run out of tears, unsure whether your son would be alive when you reached him. And daring to contemplate whether, if he ended up with just one limb, it might be better if he passed away. This young man who lived to snorkel and fish and play guitar and piano. Frayed and exhausted, the Visses reached the hospital around 10am. The sight of their son in the ICU, swollen and bandaged, right arm missing and tubes down his throat, was overwhelming. They had to be helped out to compose themselves. So began their vigil. The Visses took turns by his bedside, where Carter was on a ventilator. He was tormented by hallucinations, ICU psychosis, doctors call it. He knew his family was there, tearful and comforting, but so were strange, gruesome creatures that were crawling all over him. Get them off me, he begged. 
Carter didn't know he'd had four operations. Infected flesh had been excised, a titanium rod inserted in his shattered tibia, and hardware installed in his left wrist and right knee. Layla, a piano teacher, needed to be back home, but Chuck could work remotely, so he stayed on. One morning, after Carter had had his tubes removed, Dr Borrego told him the battle was 90% won. I've got a long road ahead of me, Carter thought, but I'm going to make it. He decided he would use his spared life to educate others about ocean safety and conservation. Heading into yet another surgery, he told his parents, I can make a bigger difference now than I ever could before. Over the 68 days Carter spent in hospital, his recovery felt agonisingly slow. Actually, says Dr Borrego, it was remarkably fast. His parents noted each milestone. The first day Carter sat up. Being moved out of ICU. The first time after surgery on the nerves in his right knee, he wiggled his toes. The first time he sat in a wheelchair. Then standing unaided, and a few days after that, taking his first shaky, painful steps. But another battle had just begun. Heavy doses of morphine, oxycodone and fentanyl had eased his pain. Dr Borrego explained to the Visses that a successful outcome depended on him getting off opioids. I've seen many lives ruined when patients can't break free. Carter understood the gravity of the issue. He gradually reduced his doses and then tore off his fentanyl patch. Withdrawal made for a harrowing few days, but Carter, as Dr Borrego puts it, has incredible mental strength. In June 2020, Carter returned to work. His duties include helping rehabilitate loggerhead sea turtles that have been injured in boat strikes. Today, he can bend his right knee only 90 degrees. He's been fitted with a prosthetic arm, but finds it cumbersome. But all in all, says Dr Borrego, his recovery has been almost miraculous. Physical healing is one thing. The emotional legacy is less obvious. I try not to remember how real the accident was, the panic and horror, Carter says. It feels more like a dream or a nightmare. And I try not to think of what I can't do and focus on ways to work around things. An investigation found that Tally Girl had been going at least 80 kilometres per hour when it struck Carter, despite the red and white diver down marker on the water. In September 2020, Daniel Stanton Jr. was charged with willful and reckless operation of a vessel, punishable by up to a year in jail. Carter insisted he did not want Stanton to face incarceration, says Chuck Viss. He said, I'd rather have him working with me on ocean safety than sitting in a jail cell. The court hearing two months later marked the first time Carter and Stanton Jr. had seen each other since the day their lives changed. Layla and Chuck were there, as was Stanton's mother. Stanton Sr. attended via Zoom. The families avoided eye contact. Carter read a victim impact statement and then Daniel Stanton Jr. addressed him directly. Carter knew that the remorse was genuine and profound. There was no doubt how he felt, Chuck agreed. You could see the pain in his eyes. Stanton Jr. was sentenced to 75 hours of community service, one year of probation, a US $1,000 fine, and a mandate to work with Carter on legislation to enhance ocean safety and conservation. Afterwards, Carter went to Stanton Jr. and shook his hand. 
Tears flowed and the wall of silence between the families came down. As the two men embraced, Carter said quietly, Let's make a difference. One of their ideas is a better diver-down marker. The current design is a red flag with a diagonal white stripe. Depending on wind direction, however, a boater may not see it. Carter favours a bigger, three-dimensional buoy, visible in any weather, with reflective strips. In addition, Carter wants strict speed enforcement. Has the legal resolution led to forgiveness? Forgiveness comes from the heart, says Carter. I feel like I'm going in the right direction. If I were him and had to live with the guilt and remorse, I'd almost prefer to be in my shoes. It's a complex thing emotionally, but if I can ease someone else's pain, I will. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.